Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Okay, we're recording. And for all of you out there, whatever day you're listening to this, today is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you're wearing green, good for you. And if you didn't, because you didn't know that the day whenever this was taped was actually St. Patrick's Day, you can wear green today and it'll count for that. But, but I digress because I have an amazing guest here and I can't wait to introduce you to him. In fact, how I got word of this, this superstar we're about to talk to was I was talking to uh, a good friend and she was telling me that this guy, he is like a wizard. And I was talking to someone who's pretty dang smart. And she was telling me, yes, he knows all these things. He in the marketing world and the aligning with sales and the sales world, not easy, CMO to the stars. And so I had to meet him. I met him and I was like, we got to chat on the podcast. So he's a thought leader, marketing thought leader. Uh, he's been doing this for, for years, for decades, for centuries. Salesforce certified. He's in the ecosystem with us all. And it's really all about integrating CRM with marketing automation. I can't wait to talk about this. This is Pandora's box here, having the two of us on here. Um, again, consultant to the stars, chief marketing officer at New Age Experts, Andy Carlson. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Casey. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. This is cool. All right. Absolutely. So earlier, I got the Red Bull, I got the Mountain Dew, and some coffee. And now I'm going to pass you this. It's heavy. Ugh. Okay, there we go. Here you go. Take, take, take that. <laughs> Grab it. All right. Nice, nice, nice technique. So that's Thor's hammer. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me personally, uh, I kind of things that thing that I think about and keeps me up at night and um, is really around the tools that we have today, the modern marketing tools, the automation, the Pardots, the Eloquas, the HubSpots, all of these allow us to do fantastic things, but it also allows us to be very lazy marketers. And so that's probably the biggest challenge I have in working with these tools and customers is getting them to move away from just pushing the easy button and Bast and blast, blast and batch, and, and you know, just saturating people with uh, information. Uh, so that's something that uh, I work really hard with uh, with my clients and uh, and the tools that we have available to us to be really thoughtful marketers uh, and really look for uh, opportunities to improve, uh, do better, uh, and of yeah. course deliver great content. Booyah! What is it about? the tech these days that makes it so easy and what is the easy button really and then why are we pressing it yeah yeah i think the the easy bus the easy button is send all right it's it's um see the, the, it, the tools make it really easy to grab a big group of people in your database and easily create content put the two together and hit the send button and uh you know i think it's you know a lot of marketers are under pressure to, to deliver, deliver qualified leads, to move the needle uh, to some degree with revenue. Yeah. And so, you know, that they, they have a little bit of content and then they have people and they think, oh, I'll, I'll just mash these together and, you know, kind of do a spray and pray and hope for, hope people are opening these things and maybe we get one or two, uh, you know, click throughs uh, with these emails and 
hopefully it goes on to an opportunity. Um, and so it's really that kind of hope is a strategy, um, you know, with, yeah. with the marketing that's, uh, that I think is a, a big challenge for everyone. You know, I remember the old days of email marketing. Tell me your story. Like we, we could talk to, about the stories. You look like a young fella, but uh, I'm sure there's some people coming up now that have only used these tools where it's so easy to send email. I remember using NetSuite back in the day and I mm -hmm. remember joining this company and they had like a four page process document for how to send an email with NetSuite to your list. And like, it was these arcane steps, like click here and then add this thing in particular. And, and I remember it taking me hours to send an email and in at least back at that point, not that that's a good thing, but at least maybe just, maybe you spent just enough time thinking more about who you wanted to send to or why you wanted to send to, because you knew it was such a pain in the ass to send email that you're like okay who who should this really go to let's i'm not going to send nine of these so who, who could this really go to but i guess some people still just clicked send all but nowadays to your point it's so easy i mean whatever tool mailchimp pardot you know maybe not eloqua but like it it's easier to just hit you know set, send this email and away that template goes and and we forget that sending the same email the spray and pray why why do we spray and pray we're just being lazy is that what's going on oh i don't think it's i don't think we're purposely being lazy i think we just it's 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 kind of what we know um you know it we, i work with uh you know clients coming they tell me hey i'm, I'm marketing from salesforce and i'm like what you can market from salesforce and they're like yeah but i i can only send a thousand emails a day and and, and it's interesting working with these folks because to your point, you know, Salesforce is not a marketing automation tool. No. And, and you really got to work around the constraints of Salesforce to get, you know, mass email sent. So they're, they're used to kind of thinking, oh, I got a thousand people. I really got to, I got to really work on this audience segmentation and make sure I build that report, yeah. you know, in an authentic way. And then, as you know, building emails in Salesforce or email templates you know, it's all HTML. So it's literally like, like you say, it's like stepping back in time 10 years and it forces these people to be a little more thoughtful um, in what they're doing. And so when then they come to a Pardot or a HubSpot or a marketing cloud, they're like, I can, I can email everybody just one push of a button. I can automate this stuff. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think just the ability to do that um, and quickly, cause we're all under deadlines. We all have a lot to do. I think that's just, it's um, preventing us from, again, being thoughtful and authentic in the way that we market. Yeah, it, it's like a weird cycle, the idea of the activity mindset, the activity marketer, how many things did you send? You know, I, I once had the CEO that came from IBM and, you know, had had the culture of IBM. Yay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, maybe IBM is great these days, but I, back then, you, you all know it too. Um, back then... You know, yeah, I remember him just saying, like, hey, how many emails did we send this month? And I actually mm -hmm. knew, which is surprising, but I knew the answer was like about a million. And he's like, well, next month, let's do a million and a half. You know, as if this is the exact same, even from the leadership themselves saying, just send more of the same to the same people. And this is not running shoes. This is like IT software. They're not going to just, oh, thanks for your extra emails this month. They're like, peace, I'm right. out, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and to some degree, I mean, you're, you're rewarded by the more email you send. I mean, it's it's tied to 
you know, domain reputation and, um, you know, just uh, brand identity and things like that. So I think marketers are under, under pressure, you know, to be communicating. Um, and email is a very simple way to do that. It's, it's, it's a very low cost way to get your message out. Um, but like to your point, if we're not targeting it, if we're not um, that personalizing it, if we're not making it relevant for the recipient, um, yeah, it, the, the best thing that can happen is we get ignored. <laughs> of course, then they, they hit the spam complaint button and then, you know, we have to deal with kind of that ramification as well. You know, and I, I guess that's that unspoken penalty for sending all is that there's going to really what you're sending. Like you probably wrote that email with one segment in mind, right? And and you hit send all. So if you have four or five segments in there, you've just given four of them a load of crap or something right. that doesn't feel like it's really for them. And then one of them is really happy. So that's why you mm -hmm. get those like abysmal click-through rates because like, yeah, the segment that you were thinking of yeah. accidentally or in per on purpose, they did respond, but then everyone else was like, what is this? Yep, yep. exactly. I, I, one of the challenges I see with marketers, marketers have is once they, once they obtain an email address, they, they value that, right? And yeah. even though, They've emailed them 20 times and they, this person's never opened an email. They're very reluctant to give that up. And so when we go through these, you know, database cleansing, you know, um, processes, or we, we try to, um, you know, figure out like a double opt-in process or identify those people right. who are interested in continuing to receive emails from us, you know, it's very, they're very hard to say, uh, I don't want to give that up. You know, I, I earned it somewhere. Maybe yeah. I purchased a list or yeah. I'm paying for zoom info, you know? And so, you know, the, it, the ability to, to kind of flush people who are not responsive to your messaging, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to do for, for a lot of people. How, how are you going to justify going back to your, you know, management team and saying, eh, I just, I took our database down from 30,000 and we have 750 people, but those 750 people are interested in receiving what we, you know, what we're communicating. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult conversation to have. You know, I guess that's one of the unspoken vanity metrics of marketing, right? It's just the mm -hmm. database size, correct? You know, and just and and thinking that there's it's somehow like treasure. I, I mean, when you mm -hmm. when you said that like they earned it somewhere, it totally feels it feels like experience points in D and D, or it feels like you know level on a game you're playing, or you know how many workouts on your Peloton. It feels like something you're trying to like add the number to it it never goes away but I, I learned the other day that that number is constantly going away you know like data is mm -hmm. constantly degrading i don't think right. people realize right. that yeah yeah what's that 33 percent of your database year over year is is probably no longer valid you know and um but you know again going back to kind of the tools and making it easy we you know we just go plug in zoom info and now we got 10 more thousand people that you know, look like they're marketable and okay. added to our database. And so, you know, we send out those messages. Okay. So yeah, you're right. That yeah. does kind of like encourage you to be misbehaving. I think so. Yeah. I mean, Zoom I, info. I, are, like what, what's the deal <laughs> with Zoom info, right? So like yeah. everyone knows you're not supposed to spam people. And some countries mm -hmm. care a lot about that and some don't. Right. The U.S. is kind of yeah. like, eh, kind of. Um, yep. But Zoom info exists and for cold calling and email spamming like isn't that what it, it seems like this thing we all use it not everyone but like some people we, you buy a list 
yep. and you know it's mostly incorrect. Right, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, data, Zoom Info and Clearbit and these data aggregators, augmenters are, are, are kind of just the newfangled lists. You know, they're just, yeah. it's just an, I think, an easier way to, for, you know, sales to, um, you know, identify people that are interesting. And of course, once they bring them in the sales force, they're probably get pushed down the pardot and marketers say, Hey, wow, I got, I got all these people with job titles and a lot of good information, a lot of good persona information that I can start to market to. Right. Um, but it, you know, I mean, it, I, I think good teams of marketing and sales, you know, have those conversations and say, um, and, and define, you know, what of this sales audience, what is, what is appropriately marketable and how should we be marketing to them? Wow. Yeah. It, but, and it gets you out of that thing we're talking about where data is degrading and it's going away. You know, mm-hmm. I used to look at data that way too, where it was like a dragon hoarding treasure, you know, you just accumulated more and more of it, but it's, it's almost, it's more like, you know, one of those fitness apps or something where, it tells you, okay, you've been working out lately, so your stats are good. But if you like took the next three months off, those stats are going down. So it's like you right. have to keep keep it up there, keep the data accurate, keep it actionable, segmented, all those kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier being more thoughtful, right? The tech's allowing us to not be, but to not good results. How? What do you recommend? Like number one thing, like maybe two, three, four, whatever. But like, how could we be more thoughtful and not let the tech just lull us into lazy land yeah yeah i mean for i i think the the biggest thing if i had to do one thing and try to do it well in email marketing it would be matching content to persona right um oftentimes when we're trying to sell a product you know we've gotten various constituents that we need to convince right so we take that avm approach you know everybody in that account can be an influencer in a purchasing decision from a CEO to a CFO to a CMO to the purchasing manager, all the way down to the actual end user. And a a real thoughtful approach is, is breaking those, that content up and serving up content specific to the CFO. CFO wants to know very different things about your product in terms of ROI, long-term cost, you know, all of these things, then maybe the end users really just focused on those features and functionalities that help them do their job. So identifying that audience, I, I love ABM strategy. I think that's probably in B2B, that's the most powerful way that we can market and sell. And, um, and then taking the time to shape that content for each persona or role. Um, and then, you know, marketing to those people that we identify in those roles, you know, I think is the, is being authentic and, and probably the best, hopefully the most effective way we can do it. Have you had a lot of success with ABM? Um, I wouldn't say a, a lot. Uh, it, it takes a lot of effort. I mean, the, the, where I've seen it work is where everybody's engaged. I, I worked with a HR company in Florida and they literally brought their CFO into sales conversations with potential client CFOs, mm. right? So it's not just, this is not just shaping your marketing. It's also shaping the sales team and and being able to speak relevant, you know, topics and content, you know, based on a, on a role match. And in that case, I think, I think it's very, very powerful because any, any purchasing decision is not just one person. I mean, it's multiple people and they, they have different needs and they need to be kind of, um, you know, communicated to differently. Okay. 
I can see how that, you know, because it's one of those things like it does make you be more thoughtful on the ABM side, but there's a lot of maybe unearned praise for it as well as there is some legitimate results. But at, sometimes I get dissuaded by that kind of thing because I see mm-hmm. sort of the hype and hype tells me like, do you actually have results? And then there are people with results, but it's all mixed together. Have you, have you experienced sure. any of that? Um, like I said, we haven't had like tremendous, like, aha, uh-huh, you know, big, big stuff, but the, uh, you know, if a company can identify 10 to 20 major accounts that they're, that they're focused on for, you know, for this quarter, for this year, yeah, you know, that can help shape that strategy. And as long as everybody's aligned kind of with that, you know, that role-based approach, you know, I, yeah. I, I think it can be very powerful. I mean, conceptually, it, it makes sense um, how you execute it, of course you know, probably has something to do with it. Um, but fortunately today, you know, we have much better reporting yeah. um, that we can start to roll that stuff up to the account level and see, you know, is this stuff really working? Is it condensing sales cycles? Is it, you know, adding to long-term revenue and those type of things? Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, if that keeps you up at night, what, what, what's exciting for you? What, what's got you excited about the future? What's coming around the corner that we should keep our eyes open for? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited about uh, AI. Um, I love what Salesforce is doing with um, the Einstein stuff. Uh, the the lead in behavior scoring um, is starting to make a lot of sense, at least um, you know with with some of the projects that we've worked on. And um, you know, I think anything that we can do to provide marketing and sales better insights and, and information is a, is a good thing. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's cool that we can take advantage of not just the data that we know or we own, but we can take advantage of data across all of Salesforce's customers and whatever it, whatever else is going into that AI black box um, and, and starting to leverage that um, and then move away from, you know, the tools and, and, and the kind of the brain damage that we have to go through in terms of building lead scoring and grading and, right. um, you know, custom reports and stuff like that. So that to me is, is, is really exciting. Um, I don't, understand how it all works but for what <laughs> I'm, you know but it's uh yeah it does seem to be moving the needle um so that's uh that's really cool stuff and probably the second thing is anything that we can use to personalize not just an email but but that the whole buyer journey you know whether that's you know the chat bots and, and things like that that can talk to customers after hours and um, you know process information and and really kind of help that buying process. I think those are all really cool things that are going to enable us to focus less on the day-to-day mechanics of pushing content out the door. Yeah. As to more, you know, how do we strategize a journey for particular roles or buyers and, uh, and leverage AI to help us do that um, timing and that type of thing. Wow. Um, I want to pa- unpack some of that. The AI, another thing that can get hyped with, and you know we we watch crazy movies like I don't know if you, what's that one robot one uh, Ex Machina did you see that one? No, uh-uh. no. Oh, you got to see. Oh, that. Wait, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. The the lady robot. Yes, yes. yes. There's several yeah. ladies. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. kind of freaky, kind of scary. Um, mm-hmm. we see those kind of things, and then we hear Salesforce now has that too. We're like, wait, right? Salesforce has killer robots. What could you? You know, maybe not to the how it actually works because you're right. Some of it I don't even know either. But what what has you most excited about like Einstein in particular? 
And also just the idea of the lead and behavior scoring, because I've seen a lot of that where it's almost just like lead scoring. And sometimes lead scoring just tells you how interested they are in you, but not how interested you are in them. So how have they gotten around the ability to say, yes, this person, like they, they downloaded all your forms, but they're not just a student doing research. They're actually the right person. How, how have they sort of resolved that? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the key thing about the, the Einstein is, is really the insights for both the marketers and sales. Um, I don't ever envision, you know, AI driving what salespeople do well, you know, and that's the timing of the communication and, and things like that. But what I think it can do is help provide, you know, especially on the sales side, um, you know, the kind of the, here's a moment or here's based on all this data, you know, we think that this person's moving into, you know, a, a better position in terms of buying or, or making a decision. And just that insight, you know, I help, think can, can give sales users the impetus to, you know, pick up the phone or drive that or drive that deal forward. Um, you know, in terms of the stuff that we're able to do with um, intent, understanding intent and, and, and persona and things yeah. like that, Again, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a black box, but it's, it's taking in information that we don't have available to us in those scoring and grading tools. And that's um, uh, sales engagement. Um, we, can, we can do service engagement. Imagine, um, you know, a, a software company, you know, like an app company, right? And they've got all of these metrics in terms of app usage. So I, I download a free app, I start playing with it. You know, that data goes in and feeds the model that includes sales touches, customer service touches, marketing touches. Mm -hmm. And so we can start to understand, you know, what is the propensity for this person to upgrade or continue to purchase additional things versus, uh, you know, go, you know, attrition. Um, so you know, collecting all that data, you know, I think is going to be important. I don't think AI is going to solve everything, but it's just another insight that allows sales, I think, you know, to be more reactive and, 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 you know, hopefully better. Yeah. Yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm excited about that future too. It, it can it can go in crazy places. I think one of the challenges will be the, the amount of data. Like I know Amazon can run a test on its homepage for like eight seconds and it has statistically significant results, no problem at, at a multivariate level. Like they can just go crazy with it. But, you know, for the SMB with, you know, 700 views a month on their homepage, <laughs> you know, right. like AI ne it needs a chunk of change to be able to, you know, and so even designing the experiments for it, I guess they could have some pre-built thought processes behind the scenes that can help people out. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. I mean, you need the, yeah, the black box consumes a lot of data. Yeah. And so what we see with the Einstein scoring, you know, it's, you can turn it on um, and it, it'll be six months before it starts to really start to get relevant. So, so as, as long yeah. as, you know, people do that, people understand that we start, you know, with our basic scoring model and grading model, build that up, tweak it as necessary, but flip on the engagement scoring and lead scoring and see six months from now, you know, what, you know, what's the differences? What, what is AI doing that we didn't think about? And so, I mean, sometimes it's good to run both. It just doesn't hurt to run both. And, um, but I, I know a lot of marketers are just like, you know, I, I don't know what sales wants and I don't know what the right scoring model or the weighting is. Yeah. Um, and and the, they're good candidates for saying, hey, let's uh, let's see what Salesforce can tell us. Yeah. Yeah. It, and to your point, though, you still need to align with sales. You, you know, you can't let the tech 
oh, I wanted to talk to them, but I'm a little shy. So I'm just going to run this app instead. It's like, you still need to talk to sales. You still need to align. Right. Even if, yep. you know, technology is going to give you a little boost there. That's, it's to get the yep. conversation started. It's not to finish the conversation. Absolutely. I, I always think of marketing as, you know, complementary to the sales cycle. Mm. So what can we be doing for the marketing side, obviously, to generate qualified leads. But once they're in that sales process, you know, how can we listen for, you know, slowdowns in the sales cycle or people being moved to unqualified, you know, right. people moving very quickly and, and maybe suppressing marketing because we don't want to get in the way of what sales is doing. Right. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of this integration will part out in Salesforce allows us to see that and, um, you know, create automations to appropriately time messaging and, and things around different, um, you know, velocities within that sales cycle. Right. Yeah. The velocity is a, is a kicker. My, I, this is, this has been great. I mean, who are you? Who are you? Take me back in time. Like, like little Andy days, right. You know, what was it like? Where'd you grow up? Did you always know you're going to be in sales and marketing and, and strategy and all these things? No, no. I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I, uh, yeah, just shorts and sandals and, um, spent my life swimming. I was just, I was a swimmer. And, um, uh, when I actually, uh, went to the air force Academy, so I wanted to be a pilot. My Did dad you was really? a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Uh, I didn't like it. Uh, I, I did not like it at all. I, I lasted two years. Uh, okay. they give you basically the first two years are, uh, I wouldn't say probation, but they, they give you that first two years at the end of two years. If, if you, um, if you stay on, if you start your junior year, uh, and you either get kicked out or dropped out or whatever happens, then you actually have to go back into the Air Force and serve time. So even though it is a free education, <laughs> once you commit, you know, you have to, you know, you have to commit. And I, I was all in. Um, I, I wanted to be a pilot really bad. Um, but then I started to get distracted. Uh, and uh, by, by, the, by the end of my sophomore year, I, I realized I could go be a pilot um, and do these other things that I wanted to do. So I left, um, came back to uh, Colorado or Boulder, uh, finished school and then, um, and then started doing uh, triathlons. So hey, hey, real quick, I want to get, I want to get to tries, but just back yeah. to the air force Academy, yeah. I actually yeah. got nominated for it and oh, cool. was going to go, but I failed calculus cause I freaking hate calculus. Um, oh, wow. and I didn't do my homework. And so they're like, yeah, probably shouldn't have you go to the air force Academy. Here's an ROTC okay. scholarship. Try not to get in trouble. Um, okay. But I, but I really, so where did you, uh, you share a similar path? What's that? Did you, uh, did you end up in the air force or, you know, because I, I failed calculus again when I was in ROTC, it was kind okay. of just me going like, I don't really want to do this much math. Um, it's so actually yeah. no, no more scholarship. They're like, you need to figure math out. Um, but that was actually a good thing. Um, because you know, like you, I thought like, Hey, I want to be a pilot, had some private pilot time. Yeah. And then, was like actually pilots are all about process and procedure and oh, yeah. and data and all the things that I'm not I'm more like let's wing it you know and that's not right. exactly the right uh you know, and then also you don't get on a plane and you're like okay this plane's supposed to go to Newark but you're like oh ladies and gentlemen uh, we're gonna go to Hawaii because I feel like it you know none of those <laughs> things are <laughs> um but those yeah. are those are strengths I had so I can to I totally hear you on it and and it, it's interesting to hear yeah. that like you got out and that kudos to you for doing that because you know, you, you could have been stuck in this direction that you were just really not wanting to go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I still 
wanted to fly. I mean, I, I just, even after I got out, I pursued my my private instrument did you get commercial. It? Yeah, yeah, I got my CFI. I did all of that stuff. Wow, you know, did you fly commercial? For about two years. I uh, no, no, no. I was um, I wanted to. Um, that yeah. was that was my goal is to to get on with a, a commercial carrier, and I had to have you know you have to have a certain number of you know hours and yeah. in different types of aircraft and stuff like that. So I thought I would become an instructor, you know, make money. And then, you know, it, when I had time, you know, go and, and study and, and fly on these different aircraft. So I, I had a plan that, that would get me there, but uh, I started to get distracted with triathlons and. Um, yeah. Tell me about know, that. You got into tries. Yeah. 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 So I, um, I, I kind of leveraged my swimming background because, um, you know, swimming tends to be the hardest sport of the three Amen. to master. And so, um, yeah, I had, a. Uh, the entire time I was in uh, at the Air Force Academy, my friends would ping me and say, "Hey, I'm doing this. I'm going to Hawaii. I'm doing Ironman." And what? I was just like, "Oh, what am I? What am I doing here?" And um, so, as soon as I got out, I moved back to, to up to Boulder and, and just started training and um, you know started pursuing that. So, yeah, my my parents weren't happy. Um, they they were really really kind of disappointed, but you know I went ahead and finished school and. Um, yeah, but tell me about the yeah. tribe. Like, what? Yeah, have you, have you done the Ironman and and yeah. So I never did Ironman. Um, okay. I yeah. I, I so one year I went to watch it. I uh, went out to watch it, and wow. I mean, I, I couldn't even stand out there for nine hours or ten hours in the heat and humidity. So <laughs> I need a spectator, right, right? Like it's just it's yeah, just bacon it's on Kona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did the uh, the tri the uh, international or Olympic distance. Um, wow, was. Uh, uh, U.S. national champion one year, and then sprint distance champion the next year. What? So I had some you good were, success. You were the U.S. national champion. I was. Triathlete. I was back in nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So I had like a little bit of success. I've, I've only done sprints. Bow to you, sir. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. amazing. It's uh, it's a full time job. I mean, you yeah. You, you, yeah, you, the, the guys that are doing it today, fortunately, there's a little bit more money in it today and they mm. can, um, you know, make a living and, and yeah, the, the important thing is to eat well and take naps and, and, you know, it's really difficult to race at a top level, uh, and then have a side job or uh, a family even it's, it's tough. Eat well and take yeah. naps. Really? Yeah, huge. Yep. Huge. Yeah. I mean, we were burning five, 6,000 calories a day on average. Um, and then, you know, you'd have your long days. Uh, that was a short a day. More, so. Yeah. Yeah. What's a long day, like 10 grand, 10,000 calories. Um, yeah, potentially. Um, Dude. well, maybe not that much. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you would like, I would swim every morning. I'd, I'd be in the pool by five thirty to seven and, and that was my background. So it was very easy for me to go bang that out morning. Right. And then depending on, you know, what my coach had set up for me, sometimes we do six hour rides. Um, so yep. we ride, you know, top of Mount, you know, uh, SS Park and way up in there. Some really wow. good cycling here in Boulder. And then you come back in and at night you come back by 30, get on the track and do a track workout. And, um, you know, just all of that training helps you basically withstand the, you know, the stress from swimming, you know, vertical or yeah, horizontally you're swimming and then boom, you're on your bike and then you're running and all these different muscle groups are changing and fatigue. And, um, yeah, you just have to do it because you have like, um, training peaks. Do you use that one or, you know, I, I was, I retired before they got started, but for my tech, first job, 
I was in the same building as those guys. So I would go down and, and talk to them back when they were just a two person software company wow. um, here in Boulder. So, uh, but no, we didn't have anything sophisticated like that. And um, yeah, I come to think of it, I, there was nothing. I mean, you just, you, you, you know, heart, heart rate like that. And, and you even have like a wearable heart rate. You just were taking it. I think they did, you know, they had the straps. Yeah. Oh, the strap, had like yeah. a watch. Yeah. But nothing, you know, nothing sophisticated today, wow. like parameters and all this feedback that you can use. I mean, you just want to, you went hard on your hard days, you went long on your long days uh, and you were afraid to recover because you felt like if I'm sitting here on the couch today, recovering somebody else is out there doing an awesome track workout. And, Recovery um, days. Yeah. Someone else those is are, pushing. Those are the hardest. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. How, how did the transition happen? So you're just wholly focused on, on tries and then yeah, where does the marketing bug come yeah. from? Yeah. So they, they, you know, they, I started to get injured. Um, so I, I had a 10 year career Probably the last two were, wow. I, I spent a lot of time injured, um, okay. you know, just running and, uh, lower leg injuries, things like that. So, you know, you start to think, well, I've got to, you know, married, want to have a, you know, a family, I've got to get, get into something. So while I was at the Air Force Academy, I'd majored in electrical engineering. And that was my, my goal. And uh, so I, I basically um, went back to school um, at CU and um, I focused on, they had a network systems network course. Okay. So it was a, I, 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 like an IS um, degree. Sure. And uh, so I, you know, I went into network systems and, you know, you know, server room stuff. I thought that was going to be pretty interesting. I didn't mind, you know, being locked in a server room all day, just doing stuff. So that was really my entry into business was um, as an IT admin uh, for, for a couple companies running servers and networks and things like that. Um, so I didn't, uh, I had no um, even thought around sales and marketing. You know, it didn't, it didn't even occur to me um, until I started as an, as an IT person, we started working on websites and, uh, you know, the back end of HTML. And I started to interact with marketing people, you know, and, and, it, you know, at the time I'm like, oh, you know, marketing just throw stuff to the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. But around that time, 2000, you know, 2007, 2008, we were starting to see, you know, things like Pardot and Salesforce, where you could actually start to collect data and measure you know, how effective marketing is, how effective sales is. And yeah. so the kind of the creative side of me said, Hey, I like marketing. I mean, I like the concept of it, but now we can put some, some data behind it. This is actually interesting to me. So that was kind of my foray into marketing was really just working on websites and helping marketing teams or marketing people, you know, think about data and, and, you know, all the things that they uh, kind of the precursors to what we're doing now. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, man. It, it's funny. Interesting. I, I came a computer route too. So I, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, and then it blends perfectly into the tech, you know, because you mm -hmm. just have that, you, you just sort of think software, you think like a program. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's plenty of good creative people out there. I don't, I don't oh, need yeah. to try to go be creative. Right. I, I, I love the role that I play in taking that creativity and shaping it into you know, authentic, mm -hmm. you know, authentic experiences for, for customers. And that's really where I, I feel like I, I fit in really well in this model yeah. of the marketing operations and, and helping sales and you know, helping marketing too. 
man, that's that's incredible. Hypothetical question for you now. Um, I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire, uh, in Nashua here, in my backyard. It's covered with a tarp. And uh, if if COVID's all done and everything, come visit. We'll have some lobster, and um, you get to use the time machine, and it takes you back in time to visit yourself. And um, it, typically, it's about the time you graduate school. But because of your special fun story, let's have it go back in time to visit you after that second year at the academy. You get to visit yourself then, like cadet or what was it, cadet? What would you be? Candidate? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah. It, you get to meet yourself yeah. then. What would you tell yourself? What kind of advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know, everything you've been through, things you've discovered about life, and all that? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I used to, it's a good question. I, I used to have nightmares uh, where I have to go back and finish at the academy. So you can imagine going back in at 25 or 26 and finishing up and, you know, and, and being, you know, amongst 18 and 19 year old yelling at you. So I would have, it would be these, I was afraid to take a nap because every time I took a nap, I, I would think about, I, I would have this dream that I was, I have to go back and finish because I don't like to, you know, leave anything unfinished. Totally. Um, so it, it took me a long time to get, to kind of phase out of that. But I, I think, you know, I, for a long time for me, I, you know, I, I felt the shame of, of leaving kind of a prestigious program, all the things that I could have done, you know, as a pilot, either in the military or commercially. Um, and, uh, and I think it really hindered me. It, it, it prevented me from, you know, moving forward in a business career in, in a, a kind of a more, uh, I don't know, I don't know, more emphatic way. I mean, I just, I, I was... I, I felt paralyzed. So if I could go back in time um, and, and tell myself, you know, something, you know, something that I know today is that, you know, you, you, you have this North star, it, it kind of guides you regardless of where you end up. I mean, one night you might be in jail because you, you know, you drank too much and ran into a stop sign or, uh, you, That's know, your story? You, you might do something spectacular, spectacular. No, I never, never ran into a stop sign. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, 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 um, I always felt like I have to be accomplishing something because it's you know, part of being an athlete. You just, you have to see progress, you know, every day. So I, I think that one thing I would say is, you know, life's a long, it's a long race, you know, and you don't have to be ahead at mile three and mile four and mile five, you know, it's, uh, take the time to enjoy the experience and, um, you know, um, do what's interesting, you know, I think. And the other thing I'd say is um, go back and say, learn SQL. I, I feel like if I know, if I knew SQL better, there's so many things that we can do with data, not just mm. marketing data, but sales data and service data and all these things and aggregate that stuff and then pull out some remarkable insights. I, that's probably the one thing that, it, you know, I kick myself for not focusing more on is SQL. Yeah, that's a, that's a great double pronged approach there. SQL the language of the database and then mm -hmm. the idea that life is that longer race. It's more of a try. It's not the little sprint. It's not the, um, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a part to it that you don't want to just sort of not do anything, but at the same time, understanding that it's that consistent, you know, training that got you that long race. Like you can't train for a try 
overnight, you know, just like you can't study for calculus overnight. You know, it's like, right. I've tried that, <laughs> you, know, you got, it's that consistency, yeah. but also there's some comfort in knowing that it's a consistent process and you can, you can dominate it that way. That's, those are wise words, wise words and sequel crazy, man. So are you still doing tries just casually for fun or, you know, I don't, I haven't done, I think the last one I did was about 2010, which has been about 10 years. I do a lot of running, um, nice. uh, biking. I do a lot of riding um, up here in Boulder. So, yeah, it's uh, life's a little bit different now. Kids and um, totally, uh, you know, business and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so you could no, just that was swing by a sprint and just dominate myself. it. <laughs> it would hurt. It would. It would be very painful. You can't. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure that having having one certain champion you you would have high expectations for yourself so it's almost like you're not going to dabble you're gonna if you're gonna do it you're gonna you're gonna go for exactly. the win kind of thing yep. yeah i'll start training six months out and yeah quit my job and <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah exactly so yeah i don't want to encourage i don't wanna encourage you <laughs> unless you want to in which case i totally yeah. encourage you to do that um yeah, yeah totally so yeah kids life how about the skiing skiing's great we just yeah. had a two-foot storm two days ago wow. so we got it 28 inches up so here in boulder we've got a local resort it's about 30 minutes up the mountain uh it's about 600 acres so pretty small a little quirky um uh, resort but uh very convenient so um, what's it called now we get up there it's called eldora eldora and uh it's uh it's so we have a, a pass system here Okay. Um, you can, there's basically two major passes. So if you buy into one pass, it gets you specific mountains. Okay. And you buy in the Tell other Tell me more. One, it gets you I've never mountains. skied out West. I've only skied. It's it. the best. Yeah. I feel like I've it's missed out. So tell yeah. te- teach me, teach me the way there's two, what are the two passes? Which one do you recommend? So we have the icon pass, which is what we're on. And that, that has Eldora. Um, let's see. Uh, Winter park, uh, Arapaho basin, steamboat, um, I think what else? Copper, Copper Mountain is a big favorite of ours, um, and those are all within two to three hour drive. Cool. Uh, on a good day, um, and then the other pass is the Epic Pass, which is the Vale owned um, pass. So you get your Vale, the Aspen, uh, Beaver Creek. Um, what else? Breckenridge, Keystone. So you know they're, they're they're two. Basically, what's happening in in the ski industry is that all of the resorts, you know, it's it really difficult for a resort to be profitable especially last year with covid um and so they're just getting gobbled up by these major entities and so wow. you have icon and you have Vale, and they they literally own every resort in the in in the in the world um, wow. so you just you align with kind of the one that um is closest to you or the one that you like and i know some people that have both so that they can literally ski anywhere um on the front range or um in the in the in the mountains and Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that about the two different passes and and mm-hmm. it's just come out here a little bit because I know one of the mountains is, is a, is a veil Epic pass mountain. Yep. Yep. So that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So they, they've, um, you know, they, this year, uh, we didn't know if they were going to even open, uh, just because of the COVID. And COVID. so they've, yeah, they've done a remarkable job at, you know, enforcing masks, social distancing when you get on a chair today you know you you can elect to ride by yourself or if you you know if it's a you know wide chair you can you know sit on opposite ends with with a stranger yeah you know whereas before they they'd mash you in into like a gondola with 600 people and your knees are 
up against each other with strangers you in there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different, but you know, everybody's been really good at it, uh, you know, abiding by the rules so we can stay open. And so that's fortunate. We've had a great, great season. That's awesome. I'm going to have to, have to get out there, have to do some, Absolutely. get some lessons. I've never skied in like deep powder. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's tough. It, it, you know, people, people go, Oh, powder, you know, fresh snow. And then they get out there and then they realize they can't, it's, it's a totally different scheme than, than skiing on groomers. I mean, it's just, it's a totally different technique and um, you know, it's, you'll you'll wipe yourself out um, on a powder day if you're, if you're not ready for it. You know, we had kind of a powder day the other day, but it, it was like, it was like a probably a good foot or two. I know that's like tiny com- in comparison, but, but it was, it was kind of like a heavy powder though. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. light. It was like heavy and it, it was just work, man. It, and I, oh, yeah. I can ski yeah. the other stuff, but that was just like tiring me out. And normally I'm down in like two minutes and this was like, I'm down to like eight minutes. Cause it's just taking yep. forever to get yeah. down there. Yeah. Do you ski both? The, I mean, the, is it mostly the fluffy stuff, or is it really all the all the kinds? Uh, well, yeah, you obviously ski whatever is available. Yeah. Um, I we do like powder, and and you know this last storm that we had was a Pacific storm, so there was a lot of moisture content in mm. the snow, so it was more akin to kind of what what you experience on the East Coast. When you get out there, you sink knee deep, and unless you're on a very steep grade, it's hard to get going. You need yeah. momentum to turn and you know, hop through your turns, but you know, most of the time we get, we get good storms up here, especially steamboat up in the mountains. They get what's what they call champagne powder, which huh. is a very light fluffy. It's those, it's those video clips that you see where the guys are just like floating through totally. powder spraying in their face. Um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, wintertime, you know, mountain snow and that, that's stuff's great. That's so much fun. Man, sign me up. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Let me get some champagne yeah. powder and get to the bottom, hop in a hot tub and drink some champagne and be like, that was perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man. Well, Hey, where can people connect with you? If they want to reach out, get some more marketing strategy, they want to just connect with you professionally. What's, what's a good, good social platforms, good URLs, all those things. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Andy Carlson co. Uh, I'm also uh, at New Age Experts. We're a Salesforce implementation partner. We've got a team of 70 uh, folks that range from Salesforce architects all the way down to Salesforce admins across wow, all the clouds. a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people. We've grown in quite a bit. We'll be six years, six years come May. Jeez. So it started with three people in a, a six by six office and, you know, growing, growing to 70 and, and anticipate growing to, you know, 100 150 by the end of next year. So the, the ecosystem's just been tremendous and yeah. a lot of opportunity for everybody. But yeah, we, I've, I focus on the marketing team. We do Pardot, Marketing Cloud, uh, Marketo, HubSpot, all the major uh, mark, Salesforce integrated marketing automation systems. So I can be reached uh, through new, new age experts as well. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. And we'll put all that in the show notes so people can click on through to that. Okay. Um, with that, man, this has been fun. Thanks for coming on here. Just hanging out with me on a Wednesday on a, on a very lucky Wednesday. Thank you. I appreciate it. Back to work, but yeah, it was nice chatting with you and love listening to your show. Awesome, man. And don't forget to get some green on. I don't know if you got green on yet, but you gotta, you gotta do that. All right. I'm on my way. The penalty is on a virtual world. Maybe you get muted or something. I don't know, but, uh, yeah. Happy St. Patrick's day. And it was great chatting. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
For those people listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.